0: Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you should too be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. have a seat good morning Cornerstone it is really good to see you people Um, it has been a minute since I was here and um, a lot has happened in the world since I was here you all are in a new building Um, we've had a pandemic I don't know if you knew um, global pandemic and a racial reckoning and an election, um, so many things. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are back together. <laughs> <laughs> Big news for those of us who remember the 2000s, <laughs> early 2000s. Just a wild world. And uh, yesterday I got to like, fly in and just be in Tulsa for the day. And I was so thankful to be here. I love it here. You live in a great place. Uh, Yeah, you should be proud. Uh, It was just really cool to spend the day and kind of be reminded. It's been a long time since we've been able to sort of travel around and do this kind of thing where I can come from the far and distant land of Atlanta and come to Tulsa and be with family, you know, spiritual family, and be reminded that God's doing a lot more than what's just happening in my corner of the world so i feel very thankful to get to be with all of you and really excited to get to be in philippians Uh, this is a lovely letter and beautiful as you you know early on you're just getting into it but you've done a lot already i think last week you all talked about the christ hymn those really beautiful uh, verses starting in verse five some of the oldest and most sacred maybe arguably in the whole bible uh, Paul's quoting from what was uh, probably, I think y'all talked about this even uh, last week, a, a hymn that would have been familiar to the early church, the earliest Christians. It was, functions in the letter kind of like a creed or a statement of faith. Uh, do you remember the words? It starts, he says, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or exploited, but he made himself a servant. you remember those words? It's this beautiful song or hymn about Jesus, and Paul is putting it in this letter as a kind of statement of faith to remind the Philippians, these early baby Christians, what they believed to be true about Jesus, He's kind of holding it up for them, quotes it. And then in the verses we read today, the letter sort of shifts gears. It starts in verse 12 with a therefore, which is Paul's way of saying, in light of what we just said, or we just talked about with Jesus, now I'm going to tell you some things. And I think that shift is, is really important. He goes on to say then in verse 12, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So in light of what we just heard about Jesus, here's what you should do. So here's what I want us to do for our time together. I want us to talk a little bit about the therefore, this transition that happens. And then secondly, to talk about salvation. What is it that Paul means when he says to work it out? How do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? What does that look like? So this first thing the there the therefore. I was sitting with this uh, letter, as is my habit, you know, if I'm going to try to preach and just kind of reading it over and over again, and that was the thing that kept grabbing my attention, was the verses that come before it because they're so powerful, you know, so important, and why would Paul feel compelled to quote from this hymn? You know, he's a real dude. He was a real pastor. These were real Christians, and he felt compelled as a pastor to hold up this hymn in front of the church and have them look at it, and it occurred to me that so I was thinking about that. What Paul's probably wanting to do is give, a, give them vision, right? He's got some things to say to them about what they need to do. But rather than just going straight there, he's got to give them like a why, the, the so what. What's the whole, why would we do these things? And so he, he holds up this vision of Jesus. And I was thinking about that, and that verse from Proverbs 29 uh, came to mind. You remember, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that verse was coming to mind because I think that's exactly what Paul was intending to do, was to give to the church in Philippi a vision. And that vision for him was to hold up a vision of Jesus. He was basically saying, here's who he is. We need to look here, meditate here, fix our eyes here on him. And in light of who he is, that's going to give us vision for our own lives for how we should live, what we should do. And as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me, and particularly in light of this year that we've come out of, how many of us probably feel, I wonder, like we aren't also perishing or at least faltering in our own faith or life with God due to a lack of vision, and specifically a lack of a vision of Jesus. And that's a question for me. Like I sit with Paul's letter and I think, okay, he needed me. He needed to hold up Jesus in front of me to give me a vision of who he is and so that he could call me to then live accordingly. So I'm going to put that same question then in front of you. We're going to do that work together. We're going to, we need a vision of Jesus in front of us before we can start talking about what we're to do. And here's why. Because if we just start talking about what we're going to do, how we work out our salvation, what it means to, like, not grumble and complain, all those things are just going to become, like, a long list of to-dos. It's behavior management for you. Behavior management or, at the very best, like a really good self-improvement plan, you know, And sometimes we just need to be reminded, y'all, this thing that we're doing together, it is faith that is based on a person. It is rooted in him, in who Jesus is, and without a clear vision of him, who he is, not just who he was. That matters. matters that you know the stories of the Gospels, that you know who he was for Peter, James, and John, what he did for Bartimaeus. All those things really mattered. But who he is even now, to have a vision of Jesus so that I can know how to live my life accordingly. Because in the absence of it, what happens is that I'm just going to default to a version of my faith that works for me and kind of pick it up or put it down as I see fit. Or make it all about me becoming a better person. That's like best case scenario. And I see a lot of that, and it's a kind of a, there's a fine line there, because we are meant to be good people. That is the goal. But I am not at the end of this story. This, whole, this story of renewing all things, God's purposes for creation, Ashley is not at the end of it. Where this thing is headed, the telos, we say, that is aimed towards Jesus himself. He is the center, and in him all things hold together. And so we need a vision of who he is. You do. And if you feel like, yeah, probably don't have that, (laughs) I mean, kind of, maybe I have a fuzzy notion of who he is, or if people were to ask me questions about Jesus, I could tell you some stuff. I'm talking about a vision of him, an image of him that, like, animates your person, because he's hard to see. In the world around us right now, I mean, I look out at the world and the things that I see most readily are dark and hard. That could just be my personality. Um, But I look out and I see hard things. Disease and violence. Things that frustrate me or sadden me. And too often, you you know, even we look at, at the church, capital C, at the church around us, and it seems like every other day there's a headline about another scandal or a split. Or the people even around us, and it's like, oh, they kind of do, maybe kind of don't care about their faith. All those things are so easy to see. They sit right on the surface. And he's harder. I don't even know that it's harder. It just, I mean, over and over again. You remember in the Gospels, Jesus said, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, there's a way of seeing that comes with faith. And what God wants to give you, I promise you, is the eyes of faith to see Jesus to know him you can you need a vision of who he is to animate your faith or it will run dry for you and fuzzy for you feel fuzzy always around the edges like you can pick it up or put it down or make it about yourself and what we need is, is him so how do we do that um you may have talked about this even some last week, but what I want to do before we start talking about salvation is give you like three really practical things. I'm all about the practical things. I love the beautiful words, but I also need to know, okay, what does it mean for me to like actually have a vision of Jesus? How do I have that in my life? So three things that I want to tell you, and there are others. This is not an exhaustive list. This is my list for today. But here, here are three things. The first thing I can tell you that I do personally to try to keep a vision in front of me, of who Jesus is, particularly in hard times, is in the same way Paul did it for the church in Philippians, is through scripture. I grew up Baptist, now an Anglican priest, it's been a wild ride, (laughs) Uh, Some fits and starts. But we talked a lot about reading the Bible, of course, you know, when I was, like, growing up in my Baptist church and the importance of having a quiet time and all those things. And I'm very thankful for my, for my tradition because I know the Bible as a result of Vacation Bible School and Miss Debbie <laughs> taught me most of what I know about the Bible. It's in there, even when I didn't appreciate it. And I want to say, reading the Bible because you should is, is a really good thing just to do it because there are going to be days when you just, like, don't want to. And you still should. But if, you know, if the should and the obligation is really all you have when it comes to the Bible, that is just like, God's got more for you than that. I I just want to say to you, the whole point of reading this Bible is not just so that you can check the list on your good Christian box, or so that you can know stuff in your mind. God wants to give you a vision of Jesus that actually inspires and again animates your life. So here's what that looks like. I read the Bible with a plan and a practice. You gotta have a plan and you gotta have a practice or it's just gonna feel like maybe something you do sometimes when you can and if you can. And then you'll feel frustrated. So a plan and a practice. My plan, and there are lots of them, is that I read something called the Daily Office because I'm Anglican. And I guess like you're supposed to do that when you're Anglican. But there are lots of Bible reading plans. Um, And if you have questions about the daily office, John would love to answer all of them. We were just talking about it before church. It's a Bible reading plan where it comes to me. I don't have to wonder or like flip through based on how I'm feeling. I just, every day I open it up or I look in the app on my phone and there it is and I know what to read. And for myself, when I am in particularly hard times, if I feel frustrated or things feel really dark, I go straight to the gospels. And I read the story of Jesus. And I read it slowly, over and over again. That's my practice. It's a thing called Lectio Divina. Christians have been doing it for a really long time, and it's not that complicated. Lectio Divina just means like spiritual reading, illumined reading. I ask the Holy Spirit to help me see Jesus. And I read it slowly. And sometimes I get nothing, and I'm really distracted. And I have to read it the third time before I ever even really pay attention to what's happening. And then there are days when I feel like I can't actually pay attention to what's happening. So here's what I do. I have something called the Jesus Prayer. You heard of it? Old prayer. Christians have been praying it for a very long time. And when I feel very distracted and trafficked in my mind, you ever feel that way? Like you're four words in and you're already thinking about the thing you got to do, you know, and you just can't stop. I will pray the Jesus Prayer. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me sinner jesus son of david have mercy on me a sinner jesus son of david have mercy on me a sinner and then i'll read it again and i see what lands this is not rocket science but for you it is a matter and this will sound intense is life or death for you as a christian you will perish without a vision of jesus In your faith, you will falter without him. There is nothing without him, you know? So that's one thing through scripture. The second thing is through worship. Um, It's not more complicated than it sounds, and I I literally mean singing songs to and about Jesus. And the reason, here's why I'm making this a thing to, to point out, because I am around a lot of really smart people who are very sophisticated in their thinking about Jesus. Um, I have the privilege of being around these kinds of people. And we have a church uh, with a lot of these people. But sometimes, here's my feeling, our minds, beautiful and complex as they are, can sometimes, we just like we become like thinking things. And what we know about our faith or experience of our faith is like largely up here in the books that we read or the thoughts that we think and what we know and don't know. You are more than a brain on a stick. The Lord has made you a full person, and worship is one of the ways that we engage our whole person in like aiming and aligning ourselves with Jesus. You're meant to sing songs to and about Jesus, and you may be thinking, wow, I just think them, I think the words when we're all singing and it's I have my own private time and it's great and I'm sure that's true but did you know that worship is not just something that God's requiring of you like a commandment it's a gift that he has given you so that as you're singing you can be formed and shaped in a way that Jesus is then elevated and you can see him more easily the psalmist says God is enthroned on the praises of his people So the idea, right, if you think about that, is that we sing and offer praise and God is like lifted up. And when he's lifted up, the higher he's lifted up, the easier he is to see. The better vision I have of him. Your worship is a way for you to have vision of Jesus. It's not just for him. It's also for you. That's the beauty of who he is. Everything that you offer and do that you think is an offering or sacrifice is also gift gift. And shaping and forming you at the same time. So, worship. And then, lastly, and this is gonna sound terribly simple, but I think that we are meant to do small and costly acts of kindness. Now you're like, well, of course we are. That's like the one thing. They send her to seminary for that. I mean, but here's here's what I mean Are y'all busy? I feel busy. Every day, I feel busy. I've got kids, I've got a job, I've got a lot to do, you know? And sometimes, I forget what it's all about, what it's all for. And if I will stop and do something that is just really for somebody else, it never ceases to amaze me, the way that that changes my perspective, and Jesus becomes almost immediately more evident more apparent it's like it it opens a door to something so if it's just been a minute since you've thought about that or that you when was the last time you were interrupted so that you could do some small act of kindness we are the people of God we are those who ought to make ourselves accessible to being interrupted so that we can be kind to people in a way that allows us and them to see Jesus so just think about that. It, I know it seems small, but maybe as a point of prayer. Have I done that? Do I do that? All right, those are the three things. God intends, he wants to give you a vision of Jesus. Ask him for it. And now I want to talk a little bit before we close about salvation. Just some quick things that I want to say because I think this is such an important verse. And then we'll wrap up. But here's what I want to say about this really powerful verse. This verse has been a lot to me in my life with God. Um, When I was in college, I went through a really, really hard time, and uh, I I held on to this verse kind of like a a life raft, and so it it means a lot to me. Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, I think when we hear the word salvation, for a lot of us, what we think of immediately is like our, I am saved so that I can go to heaven. Um, And We think a lot about afterlife, that that's what salvation is about. God saves us so that you can go to heaven. And I just want to say, I believe that's true. Um, You are saved, you go to heaven. That's wonderful, praise God. But I wonder if there isn't something that we also miss, that maybe we have a slightly anemic picture um, for some of us. I know I certainly did, of what salvation really means, because the Jews would have thought of it slightly differently. Paul himself would have thought of salvation differently than, than I do as a 21st century Christian. For Paul and Jews before him, Paul obviously became a Christian, but when he was, you know, he was a Jew first. And many of the other Christians were. And so when they talked about salvation, they thought of something else. They thought about Abraham. You guys remember Abraham? You know, Father Abraham. He had all the sons. But before he had all those sons, he didn't have the sons. And you remember there's this story in Genesis 12. God takes um, Abraham out on a field trip. And they go outside and God says to Abraham, Abraham, look at the stars. Count them ah oh, you can't count them too many that's the point abraham because as many stars as there are in the sky so shall your descendants be this is an impossible promise it sounded insane to abraham because of course uh, it's, that's a lot of sons for one thing and secondly he didn't have even one not a single one but as we know god fulfilled this promise through abraham and his people the part of this chapter that often gets overlooked one of the most overlooked verses arguably in all of the bible is genesis 12 2 where god says to abraham because abraham for no apparent reason chooses to believe god to trust him his faith and then god says to abraham abraham i'm going to bless you so that you will be do you remember a blessing i'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing here's the plan y'all for God. god's plan for salvation was that he would bless this particular people through whom he would work his purposes for the whole world to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That promise, in John 3.16, connected all the way to Genesis 12. This has been God's plan for salvation all along, that we would, I would, and you would be blessed for the sake of blessing other people. Praise God, we are those stars. We are the descendants of Abraham. That is our spiritual ancestry. So when Paul says, you shine like stars in a perverse and crooked generation, Paul gets to hearken all the way back to Genesis 12 and say, you, Philippi, you Philippian Christians, you are the stars of Abraham. You, church in Tulsa, you are the stars of Abraham. Through you, God intends to shine the light of Jesus to bless the world. And here's why I think that matters to hold on to, because I get really fixated on on me and my life, and God's purposes and plans for me. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. God has plans and purposes for you, and you're meant to care what they are. You should know. But I'll tell you, the pressure sometimes that comes with that can be really devastating, particularly when things aren't going well, you know? Like, Oh, God, this job, it's a dead-end job. How could God possibly be glorified through this? I don't even have a job. I've got no plan, no purpose. I'm just adrift. I'm missing it. It's all happening out there, and everyone else except for me, I'm the weakest link. And this is like the, it just this fear that plagues all of us, and we don't mean to be making it about us, but it's like if we feel better about our lives and what's happening in them, then God is more glorified. Just let me tell you, there is a whole Bible that defies that rationale, that way of thinking. Because you know the stories that come right after the stories of Abraham? You know who they're about, do you remember? After Abraham, who comes next? He's at the end of Genesis. Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph is the guy that gets betrayed by his brothers, thrown in the pit, and then taken into prison in Egypt before he's made Pharaoh's right hand. Do you remember those stories? Here's the point of the story of Joseph. The whole point of that story is to change the way we see the pit. Because the pit and Joseph in the pit. Do you remember what Joseph says? What Satan, what the enemy intended for evil. God meant for good. The whole point of that story is to say the pit cannot keep the promises and the purposes of God from advancing in the world. You cannot put the purposes of God in a pit. And keep them there if you put them in a pit they're just gonna come out and go do what they want to do so I can be in a pit but God's purpose for me cannot be kept in the pit so wherever I am Whatever my circumstances, however frustrating, my job, the purposes of God to shine through me the light of Jesus. Do you remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4? God has made known to us the knowledge of God through the face of Jesus Christ. It is his light in you. And that light shines regardless of where you are or what you're doing or how you feel about your purpose or God's plans for you. You cannot put a lampshade over it. So with that in mind, it just liberates us to think about salvation. Work it out. That means do it. Do the thing that you do today. God can work out his plans for salvation through your life today, and it doesn't have to be epic just be the really small unseen thing that you do today connected to a much bigger thing you are part of something really big and really old that's just like grafted you in and picked you up and made you a part of it and it takes some of the pressure off you know you're no less important but it's also not all about you or me thanks be to God God bless you and keep you Ask him, Lord, today, how do I work out my salvation today? Right where I am, rather than thinking about constantly how I change where I am. Give us a vision of Jesus, amen? Lord, over these, my brothers and sisters, over all of us, Jesus, your church, your bride, and your body, Lord, those whom you love, will you come, Holy Spirit, I'm reminded of the words of of Paul at the beginning of this letter, Lord. He says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. And I want to pray that over Cornerstone, over every single person in uh, this building and not in this building, over Tulsa, Lord. Would your kingdom come, your will be done. Thank you, God, for choosing to work through us. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.
1: If you're serving communion, would you please come? All right, we share communion every week as a community to try to keep the person of Jesus and the story of Jesus front and center. And if you're not following Jesus and you don't want to receive, you can stay in your seat and nobody's going to judge you or condemn you, but I want you to know you're always welcome in God's family and you're wanted in this community too. As Ashley was sharing, I was thinking, oh, what a great prayer at communion. Lord, would you give me a fresh vision of Jesus? And do you remember the story in Luke's Gospel where they were after the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection is not yet known, these two disciples are walking away discouraged and a stranger comes among them and he's talking to them about everything that's just gone down in Jerusalem, the the crucifixion of Jesus. And as they were walking along the road, he's explaining how beginning with Moses and the prophets, this is how it had to go down. And they stopped with Jesus at a place to grab a bite to eat. It says Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And they had wine. And when he broke the bread, they were like, it's you. And he was removed from their sight. But they were given a vision of Jesus, the resurrected one, at the table and the breaking of the bread and drinking of the wine. Whenever you guys are ready, you can go ahead and get in place Our prayer is just right now, Lord, as we get ready to receive, would you give us eyes to behold you? Would you give us the grace to desire you? Would you give us the courage to put our faith in you? And as we come forward, empty and discouraged and distracted as we are, would you nourish us on you and enable us to be the kind of people who can work out our salvation, joining you in the adventure of what you're doing in the world? Friends, I'm going to invite you to please stand, and as we get ready to receive communion, let's pray together that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In just one minute, I'm going to dismiss you. You Y'all in these sections can come into the center row and come up and be served. Y'all dismiss yourselves into the center. The wafers are not gluten-free. So if you have gluten intolerance, drink the juice and know that the body and the blood of Christ are for you. As you come up, you'll come up with just empty hands, and they'll put the little plastic shot glass of juice with the built-in wafer in your hands and say this is the body and the blood of Christ for you. You can take that to your seat and go ahead and eat it on your own as you're in the seat. And then I just encourage you to say words of thanks to the Lord and then stand uh, and sing. You're welcome to come.
2: all things new come lost and abandoned come blown by the wind he'll bring you back home again home again so rise up oh you sleeper away light of the dawn is upon you. Rise up or you sleep away. He makes all things new, all things new, all things new. So come frozen in the shade. Jesus, he loves you still, loves you still. So rise up, move, sleep. So rise up, pull you sleep away. The light of the dawn is upon you. Rise up, oh you sleep.
3: Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that broken situations are not permanent, that you do make all things new. And we commit ourselves to you this week as we go out, just finding the ways where things need to be made new in our lives and the lives around us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Just a few announcements. Thursday is our night of worship, and I can just not even think of a better way to kind of reset your week than just coming and worshiping. There's no child care, but like what's sweeter than little kids worshiping Jesus, right? So they're not going to disturb or interrupt anybody. Please come and please bring your little ones. Um, the other thing is something that's happening today, starting right after the 11 o'clock service. It's Welcome to Cornerstone Groups. Um, welcome to Cornerstone Groups is a perfect way if you're either new or you've been here a while and you still don't really feel connected to Cornerstone or maybe you've been here for a really long time and the only people you know are the other people who've been here for a really long time and you want to have an active part in welcoming new people, then welcome to Cornerstone Groups is for you. It's, it's very casual. It's kind of a, we call it kind of small group light. Because it's a six-week session right after the 11 o'clock service. We are done by one o'clock. There's a snack. Childcare is provided. It's just a great way to get a little taste of something beyond that kind of Sunday morning handshake, you know, that's awkward when John says, turn around and say hi to somebody and, and that's all you've left with. This is so that by the end of six weeks, you leave with something more. You you know people. You know their name and they know your name. Um, Let's see. I think I've covered that just about all. Oh, if you're going to join us, just join us right up here in these first few pews by the piano right after the 11 o'clock service. If you're coming, obviously you are here at this service. If you normally come to this service, afterwards go get some groceries at Sprouts or go grab coffee or brunch or something. And then just come back and we'll be starting about twelve ten, twelve fifteen, something like that. Um, we would just love to have you, any of you... Um, Who would like to join us we would just love to welcome you and get to know you a little better in the next six weeks and one more thing you can come to one session or you can come to all six it's not a not a you know all or nothing kind of a thing but of course if you come to more then you get to know people better thank you john
1: hey can we say thank you to ashley wasn't that fantastic All right, we're going to we're going to sing our doxology together. Let's sing it nice and loud, and then I'm going to speak some words of blessing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Friends, as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, go in peace. God loves you. We'll see you at prayer on Thursday.